Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Hello, I'm Father Jeff Lorig, and you're listening to the EquipCast from the Archdiocese of Omaha. If you like what you hear today and you want to continue hearing from us, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Just search for EquipCast. That's one word on your preferred podcasting platform. You can also continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog, where we put everything, show notes, other kinds of articles that have to do with equipping disciples. And you can find that at equip.archomaha.org. You're going to find all kinds of resources, especially the things that we're going to talk about today. My co-host today is Father Dan Andrews. He's more like a guest than a co-host, but he's going to help me host this topic. And the topic today that we're going to be talking about is on leadership. Father Dan, good to have you with us today. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, Father Dan and I have been on a few ski trips. We've taken a lot of road trips to Colorado where we've listened to leadership books. And I don't really like skiing a whole lot, but one of my favorite things to do is take that ride with you. And some of my good memories of it is where we would listen to a leadership book, either from the secular world or from the church. And then we would we'd listen to something that would blow our minds up and then we'd hit pause and then we'd discuss it. And then we'd hit play again. And we, it was just like going to a conference. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember those days, I think we were listening to A Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren. And it's like you want to piece something together and then you listen to something and like, lo and behold, somebody already figured it out. And uh, that's how I felt when we were listening to that book. It just really helped to put flesh to a lot of the things that were in our hearts at that time. Yeah. So uh, we've had this discussion and while we have certainly some questions to help us prepare, I do feel like it'll just be another conversation on the way to Colorado. It should have that feel to it. Uh, So one of the books we both read is a book by Father James Mallon called Divine Renovation, Moving Your Parish from, From Maintenance to Mission. And in the introductory chapter, he talks about the real crisis in the church. And certainly anybody who's Catholic that's been sort of awake in the last decade is aware of many crises in the church, whether it's vocations or uh, the sexual abuse scandal. But he claims the number one crisis in the church is identity, and it's an identity crisis. We've forgotten who we are, and because we've forgotten who we are, we've forgotten how to live, how to be church. But the second crisis, he claims, and you have to go to the end of the book to find this, is a leadership crisis. In your own experience, Father Andrews, have you experienced that? Do you agree with him and why or why not? Yeah, I would say, I guess, you know, as a cradle Catholic and, you know, as we've come into this particular era, I mean, this has been really building for decades, but at the time, Father Jeff, you and I were in seminary, you know, it's kind of steady as she goes. You know, you go to seminary and we study theology and you're going to go to a parish and really that's the job. So the identity was just, let's keep it going. You have certain methods. We're going to keep those in play and you'll just keep on doing that until you retire and die a happy death. But the reality is that during that exact time, people were already starting to check out. And this, the sense of, you know, if I go to church or I'm involved at all, it was really limited. Don't think a lot of times it really touched people's hearts and souls, but no, but we do what we do and we, we go along. Well, you know, especially with COVID, there, I wouldn't even call it an acceleration anymore. This is really a, a total disruption. And actually, I think a moment of grace because 
people aren't going to come just because they used to come for whatever sort of maybe banal reason. People who weren't excited by church or didn't get much out of it. In a way, I kind of rejoice uh, that we can really be honest and, and just admit that, like, can everybody say that we think it should be more than this? So I think that's the identity crisis is, is, is really a healthy sense of discontent with, I believe it should be more than this. I think there are people who are seeing that, but the hard part for me is that a lot of people who aren't. And so it's almost like uh, Pat Lencioni this, this past couple of weeks had a couple of podcasts. One was called Plant Your Frigging Tree, which is uh, kind of provocative. And the other one was Burn Your Boats, which is, are you going to stake a claim to grow something new? And that proposition is exciting to me, but to a lot of people, it's very threatening and, and maybe insulting. So I think we're not only in identity crisis, we're kind of in an identity tug of war right at this moment. Yeah, I mean, what I remember in seminary, obviously, at least my experience is we got great spiritual formation, excellent theological formation, and also I would say character formation, certainly. There's some, some human mm-hmm. formation that was a part of it, but it was never in the context of leading people from one place to the next. And that's why I always think of, of leadership as taking a flock from one place to another, taking them to greener pastures. But when you get into it, you just realize that people are complex and uh, there's certain ways to, to lead certain people and, and there's ways to lead yourself. There's ways to lead organizations. There's ways to uh, lead movements. And obviously everything is motivated by the Holy Spirit. But I think I quickly realized in priesthood that, especially when I became a pastor, that I didn't really know how to lead people. Like I was dissatisfied with the current state of things, especially with like religious ed. And, and, and as much as I believe in Catholic education, I just didn't think it was producing the fruit. I still don't think it produces the fruit. I think it uh, would be worth the cost that we put into it. You can't blow all these things up. You have to learn how to take them from one place to the next. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to sports, I, I tell myself and other people that I was a kind of a jack of all sports and a master of none. So I enjoyed a lot of sports, which was a blessing, but had the pleasure of being on some basketball teams and, you know, and it's, it's awesome to be part of a team. But again, the whole premise of that, if you're in a competitive league, is to reach for higher things. I mean, you're really not going through all that for exercise. And so, you know, what does a skilled coach do? they lead people from one place to the next. And because there is a unified goal, and it's going to be rocky at times, because I tell people, like, sometimes when it comes to basketball, people see teams cutting down the nets, and they say, well, gosh, look how great that is. Look how happy they are. But they don't see all the fights the players got in at practice. They don't see the injuries. They don't see a lot of the things that, you know, had to happen to get to that point of greater glory. What I've really learned about as a leader, it really is like, well, there has to be a vision. And once the vision is established, that really is non-negotiable. But then the art and practice of leadership is acknowledging that we can't do this alone. And really so many beautiful things happen when you empower, encourage, and support other people in using their gifts and multiplying influence, right? So you just, you can't just come up with an idea and expect it to work. You're going to need a lot of people or I guess the right people and people in right number to achieve the vision. And then it becomes so much fun and it's so life-giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 
was thinking about you know, that definition of leadership, taking people from one place to the next, also taking yourself from one place to the next. You want a, this higher standard of, of excellence, this becoming a better version of yourselves, if you will, like Matthew Kelly would say. But I think it's, it's, it's also means making tough decisions as well. But I think you're right on the vision. You know, I've been a, a new pastor now for just over two weeks. And what I find very tempting is just to, just to go through the motions. There are so many things that come at you in one day. I know there's a lot of days where there's nothing happening. But as a new guy, I'm getting uh, P&Ls in the email. I'm getting stuff from the chancery and, and nothing has to do with mission. I'm just trying to get things done. I mean, on my whiteboard, I had, okay, I have to create a workflow for funerals, weddings, and baptisms. So it's basically just kind of creating systems and processes so we run more efficiently around here. And that's all necessary stuff. But I, what I found was, is I could spend almost every day just reacting to everything that's coming at me and be really tired at eight o'clock at night and then call it a day, start over, say a nice mass, hopefully I'm praying in the morning and go through the whole thing again and never really take the place to the next place where the Lord is calling us. And so I think you're right about the vision because I got the vision in my heart. I got the idea. It's all there. Uh, and that kind of comes out little fits and starts. And I think people kind of get frustrated with me. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess really, and this is, the, I find the really hard thing in leadership is, you know, I've never started my own business, but I imagine there's the great thrill in being an entrepreneur and having this idea and this passion that I'm going to go off on this venture. And it really has got to be like riding a, like a 60 foot wave on a surfboard, just, you know, thrill and terror. You're taking so much risk, but one of the freeing parts of it is you're just starting with nothing. I mean, you can only go forward. And the church has been going on for 2,000 years, and there are a lot of existing organizations and churches, and they have histories and good histories and beautiful things. But when it comes to seeing the times for what they're producing, you know, it, it comes a moment where you have to ask the question. And I think it's that if a gentleman proposes to a woman whom he wish, wishes will marry him, he wants that pause between the end of his question and her yes to be very, very short, right? Otherwise, it's this excruciating pain. Because what if she rejects me and she has the ability to do that? And sometimes that happens. But, you know, for a pastor in his parish to say, at a certain point, folks, in all that we've done today or this week or this month as a parish, I'm sure there's, there are people within a eighth of a mile radius of our church, if you're in a neighborhood, that don't know Jesus. And in all that we've done, what has happened to increase the chances that that person would come to know Christ? And you know, that's, that's proposing the vision. And you're hoping at that point, there's a real short pause between the response, which is, Father, we're waiting for you to ask for that. How could we get to that? But because we haven't really had that as our uh, center point in our day-to-day -day conversation, it's at some point the, the pastor needs to, with his people, like somebody's got to ask somebody to dance, you know? And that's leadership. It's first of all, proposing the vision and saying, where are we? And what are the numbers of people who are still with us? If they're growing, beautiful. What's causing that to grow? How can it get better? But if it's declining, as most you know, organized denominations are at this point precipitously, then are we really satisfied with that? Do we think that that has to happen? So that first part, though, I think is really difficult because you stand the chance for people who have been there long before you, making them feel like they're not valued and that their work has not been diligent or in good faith. So I think that's probably Jeff 
one of the things you've you know come to know as a priest who's been doing this a while that you have to get to know what's in their heart and to know what is good and what is life-giving. But I think in a time which is an urgent time to not wait too long, right? To propose that there, God is really offering to us some greater things. Yeah. It's always a fine balance between when you cast a vision to make sure that you're not offending the current group of leaders. And quite honestly, as I listen to them, they're all asking for a bigger vision. You know, the, the only thing that really limits the size of our parishes and really what our parishes can do is our own vision for it. And so in several conversations I've had, as I tend to do, I'll start a sentence with, you know, I'm really dreaming about, or I'm really hoping that, what if we could, I start a lot of sentences that way because I have futuristic and I have been dreaming about it for, for three years, ever since I was in the chancery and couldn't wait to get out. You know, like, what if, what if we could do this? And I was just on the, the phone the other day with an older gentleman who is very active in Alpha and, and different things in the parish. And he wants to have these large group events like let's get form.org because he's watching it. He's loving these programs on form, which I, I don't blame him. They're awesome. But he wants to have these big events. And I said, well, you know what I'm really dreaming about? What if small groups did those on their own? We wouldn't have to kind of live and die by whether people showed up or not. We could just form these groups and they could decide how they want to continue to be formed. And he said, you know what, Father? I like what you're saying. I don't know much about small groups, but I like that you started the sentence with, I'm dreaming about. We're just dying for a dream. We're right. dying for, for someone to cast a vision for us. It's like, okay, I'm your guy, but <laughs> I need a ton of help. Because uh, all I can do is sit here and dream a little bit, but just keep asking me questions. I'll dream with you. Yeah. Yeah. So in this age of what we might call uh, the new evangelization, You've kind of hit on this uh, a time or two. Why do you think leadership is more important in this age than maybe in the 80s and 90s? And certainly we had great leaders. And we just buried two great leaders here in the Archdiocese, Father Schwartley and, and Father Peter. Phenomenal priests for many, many people. He impacted so many lives. But really, God is probably asking and calling a new man for this new age. Do you have that sense yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, so for those of you who do, who don't know, I mean, I'm the pastor of the St. John Paul II Newman Center. I think Father Jeff said that here in Omaha, Nebraska. And we're uh, really kind of a, a new ministry in the sense that we have a new building. And, you know, we're here to serve students and faculty. And at the campus of UNO, University of Nebraska at Omaha, there are 12,000 undergrads. And as a pastor, I'm not supposed to get to all of them. That's not the way Jesus designed this. The way we are making great inroads, though, is through um, a missionary effort called FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And what they do, their primary mission is not just to reach the students themselves. We have five missionaries. But it's to raise up other leaders who can lead small groups. So last year, we had the highest number of students we ever had come to Bible study at least once, about 270. Uh, about 240 came more than four times, four to at least four times. And that was because we had enough leaders. And so to me, like, that's such a great example of a smarter way to do this, the way that Christ had in mind that we would, we would multiply leaders and, and that the leaders are there. They're ready to be invested in and they really want to be equipped to reach other people. So apart from that, there's really not a lot of hope for success. I mean, you might have a very, very uh, localized impact. But if you try to go beyond that, you're going to exhaust yourself. And even if you made some strides, 
when you transition, it's not going to continue. If it's just based on one person's efforts or the efforts of two or three people, this is the way to reach the most people, to have it be the most life-giving. And especially when it comes to leadership in a church setting, you need more avenues of creativity because you're going to need to be light on your feet in terms of ideas and approaches, try some things that might not work. And people who do have different gifts and coming at this from different angles. And actually people who know other people who have different circles. I mean, all of us have, you know, our own circle of friends and coworkers and people we pray with and serve. And you need those inroads into these different places because cool things happen when people know other people. Mm -hmm. You you may not know what it's going to be, but I've been making a real concerted effort this past year in the city of Omaha, just to meet pastors. I know all of our Catholic priests, but I want to meet pastors of growing churches in the city and had lunch with a few. And they'll say, well, what, what really, you know, did you call me for? And I just said, just to know you, <laughs> because I think good things will happen once we know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're expanding your network for sure. And you're not calling these pastors to try to influence them in any way. In many ways, you're asking for them to influence you. But I think you're right about like your, your reach is only so far. Like you have pretty good streaming there at JP2 Newman Center and you're a pretty good homilist and you have a very beautiful church. It's all bright and shiny, still smells new. New church and, smell, yep. And, and you're in the heart of a campus, right? So you're surrounded by 12,000 students on any given day. And yet, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, they're not gonna come unless you ask people, you raise up leaders to invite others to go from one place to another who can invite others who can go from one place to another. You're raising up leaders who can multiply leaders. And that's the only way it works. And that's how Jesus did it for sure. And that's what I would say, like in this time, you know, and it doesn't have to be a battle because I think people can see, leaders can see where both of these things fit, this battle between online church and church in person. And of course, in Catholic theology, the way we worship and pray with a, a sacramental life, it's all about incarnation in the end, that online reach is really to help announce your presence and help people to see and get a window into what you're doing. Maybe don't go to a church uh, and maybe find a way in, but it's never complete until people come and, uh, and join you. And so what I like to say over and over is, listen, the gospel works. It never stopped working. And the reason that we have success here with an age group that, that people would say, why even try? I mean, college students, they're not interested in this at all. Well, I would say that those people are categorically wrong because the way that we find that people respond is that they're cared for. And by caring, being cared for, I mean, there's someone who reaches out in friendship and a student, uh, and I hear this so much, students who say, I'm so lonely. Mm. And this is over and over again. And if they meet a friend who's just willing to just meet them and take an interest in them, everything changes at that point. That's where lives really start to change is I'm really cared for and and people take an interest in my life direction and my well-being. So I find that thrilling because it would really devastate me to think that people would just be left in in their loneliness and their desperation. It was such a, a hard and cynical age that can be softened so quickly by people having a concern for their neighbor and doing something about it. So it works every time. If we care for people and care enough for them to be brought to Christ, uh, their life will be changed. Mm-hmm. 
So the new evangelization to preach the gospel with a new ardor, but that doesn't mean like you have better homilies. It really just means you're raising up leaders. You as a leader are raising up new leaders. And that's a, a new evangelization. Really, there's nothing new about it because it is straight out of the gospel. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus chose a time and a place to influence a circle of friends who could go and influence a circle of people who could go and influence a circle of people. So it, again, there's nothing new about it. Father Dan, we, again, lots of car trips here and there, lots of texting back and forth early morning, probably while we're both sitting in the chapel when we should be praying. But we're, we're talking about usually what's on our heart, which is like, oh man, we, I need to grow or man, I really made a mistake here. Or, or man, I wish I, you have a bigger dream for your parish or for the church in general. What, what has really helped you to grow in your leadership? Uh, I assume prayer. Yeah, well, I'd say recently, over the past 19 years I've been a priest, I would say the people have been my best support in growing in leadership. The people I've served, just even by allowing me to serve them every day and you know, telling me how I'm doing and the good things, the bad things, the mistakes, all that stuff. And I say in all sincerity, I'm, I'm happy when they've let me know. So that's been huge. And I, I will continue to learn about being a pastor until I go home to the Lord. I mean, it's a lifetime education. So far and above everything else, it's the beautiful people of God who have helped me to grow in leadership. But I guess more directly in the past three or four years, it's been a, maybe a little wider network as the, some renewal efforts have been going on in the church. So I was blessed to be part of the original cohort of the Divine Renovation Network. And Father Jeff, you really helped me get plugged into that. Reading uh, books by Father Mallon, receiving leadership coaching from Father Mallon and Ron Huntley. Really just becoming a student of the game, diving into uh, Pat Lencioni's books, which are all centered towards personal leadership and team dynamics. So just like, I guess, anything else, if you develop a passion for something, you'll just love geeking out on it and getting into it and gobbling it up. And you know, lo and behold, discovering that there are dozens of podcasts out there mm-hmm. and that this really is like a, a whole culture. So, so I guess you know, knowing that I'm going to be supported in that and other people are reaching for the same thing and that there are some tried and true tactics that I don't have to invent, that's such a joy because you really feel coached by people that you never met because they've tried things, they've worked out the bugs. And you may add a tweaker to based on your own circumstances, and I think they would encourage that, but we really do not have to reinvent the whole thing. So that's uh, recently been a huge, huge help for me. Favorite podcast besides this one? I would say Carrie Newhoff. It tops the list just consistently. Just a lot of great uh, leadership takes, people in industry and also in churches, but I get as much out of the ones in business as the ones that pertain to church life. So Carrie's awesome. I always feel like it's a win for me as a leader. If I can get somebody else to listen to Carrie Newhoff. Yeah. I'm passing it off all the time. I just shared the, uh, the latest one about the black lives matter, racism, stuff like that. Just pass that on to father Korth. I'm like, this is a different take on it. You might want to listen to this. And so he might become a tried and true follower, a religious follower of Carrie Newhoff here pretty soon. Who knows? So you have spent a lot of time with Ron Huntley, who has worked with the Divine Renovation Network and Father Mallon. He's basically Father Mallon's right-hand man during the whole mm-hmm. renewal of St. Benedict's in Halifax and really the, a great spokesman. I, I think he's probably a better speaker, I've always thought, than Father Mallon. Father Mallon's pretty good. 
but he just comes with a lot of enthusiasm. So you got a lot of coaching from him. Would you be able to just maybe say a few things about some of the things you've learned from Ron or maybe from Father James? Yeah, well, you know, from Father James, the one line always sticks out at me, and this is a truth that he'll uh, share with pastors. And you have to be ready for this. But if you're, if you're going to lead in this way, there, there's a suffering that goes along with this. So as a leader, and you can see this in the scriptures, you can see it in our Lord, that to lead people to the heart of Jesus is going to involve suffering. So don't be afraid of that, but don't be naive about it either, because it's going to stretch you. Jesus is going to want to prune you so that you can bear even more fruit. And we all don't really like naturally want to be pruned. So I, I keep that in mind constantly, that when we're leading in a way that stretches and hurts, then it probably means things are working. <laughs> if, if you're doing it the right way. But with Ron Huntley, I tell you, Ron was just already well-trained in his life in the pharmaceutical industry. So he's really well-versed in, in leadership dynamics. But one is just to, to model this always as a leader. I think leaders always should be aware of this, that you know I need to show them what I'm actually uh, inviting us to do. And you know having a, a team that is able to have conflict where you're really able to be honest with each other so you can get on with the work and the importance of rooting out very quickly, any toxicity, you address that immediately. Maybe the third one I'd bring up is when you have a position either open or you're changing it is to not hire too fast. So don't settle. And if there's a need to let someone go, don't wait because it's not good for the work and it's not good for them. It's not good for you. So don't hire too fast and don't fire too slow. Easier said than done. Yeah. Cause you're dealing with people, you know, and if you care for people, that's always a very raw and tender moment, you know, but that's part of leadership, you know, in your capacity, the work has to rise above those difficult conversations. So that's never to be done in a way that would hurt people, but not to be avoided either. Now, we've mentioned the, the leadership of Jesus Christ a few times throughout this podcast. Are, are there some other scriptures that sort of motivate you? I, I think sometimes I was even going to maybe start the podcast this way of just saying, is this a secular topic? Like we're just kind of adding a secular topping onto what we do as church, or is it really, is leadership really ingrained in who we are as Christians? Do you have some scriptural motivations for Yeah, well, the one leadership? that... Yeah, the one I was, I was recently talking to with a brother priest who's you know, entering into quite a large situation, you know, multi-sites, and just, you know, really encouraging him that, and the image I had was from Exodus 17, where Moses has his hands held up by Aaron and her, and as long as his hands are lifted up, the battle against the Amalekites is won. I mean, it goes better for the people of Israel, but when his hands grow heavy, it starts to falter. And so, that image for a pastor in terms of having a leadership team, you have to have people surrounding you to help lift up your hands. So I really love that. It takes away that inherent sort of loneliness and separation that comes with leadership. And part of that always remains because you are the leader and there's a certain rightness in that, but it really does change when people are around you. So I guess, you know, even... If you look toward the way our Lord did it himself, he called these unlikely men and he spent almost exclusive time with them for three years. And he knew them and he knew that they wanted to follow him, but then they had their own fears and inadequacies. And, you know, Peter is always thinking he knows what to do. He has no idea what to do, but yet he becomes first Pope. 
I mean, all the ways in which he really took ordinary men and, and, and women and, and elevated them to greatness. And what a beautiful design that started to multiply, you know. So Jesus had a very direct and loving way, but intentional way to make these first followers and the leaders. And they ended up doing the same thing, like in Acts chapter 6. The apostles are becoming too concerned with the practical needs of the church. And so they say, let's raise up men who can take care of those needs to be where we can so we can focus on the word. Uh, proclaiming the word as the churches were established to spread out the load and so that more grace might be expanded. So I think it's very consistent as we see this throughout the scriptures. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's good just to remember that it's all part of it. Like it's not some separate secular thing. It's a human thing about how to essentially influence others, be an evangelizer. It's not just shoving it down people's throat, but there's the way in which we can, we lead people into the heart of Christ, as you said earlier. Now, if I were Ron Huntley, I would uh, start a conversation uh, by asking you with what, what leadership challenges are you currently facing? What's a leadership challenge right now you want to maybe just talk about, like without throwing people under the bus on the podcast? No, I, I guess I'd like to throw myself under the bus. Because I, <laughs> I, told, I, I told my team this when I came last year. So again, just past a year in my current assignments, but I really am deficient in giving praise to my team. Mm. And I kind of have this sense of, because I'm, because I'm visionary uh, and futuristic and ideation is one of my strengths is I really get a lot of life from looking ahead and where we're going to go. And, and it's sort of like, I I presume that other people want to do that same thing. And so it's like, well, let's just get to work so we can get to that thing. And because of that, like, no, let's stop and celebrate how hard you're working. Let's, you know, really just, just thank God for how he's inspiring you to go the extra mile. So that's a place of needed like repentance for me and a, and a leadership challenge. I really need to grow in that is, uh, and not just to say it, but just to really fully avail myself and uh, lay my life down for my team. That's probably top of the list. Yeah. I think it often requires us to not keep thinking about what's on our heart and mind, but to you know, put ourselves in other people's shoes from time to time and, and know where they're at. And also reflect on when people praise me, give me recognition, it feels really good. And I can kind of drink from that for a long time. And so I want to make sure that I fill up other people's cups as well. So the other day, I didn't really notice that the housekeeper was doing an awesome job. And again, you think, well, this is evangelization and, you know, changing the world, but you know, they're here on, on mission, right? They're helping me and helping the house so I can, you know, live in a nice clean house and dishes are done and laundry's all good, all good stuff. But anyway, I don't think this lady has received a compliment in 20 years. You just sort of expect her to be here. Right. And so I just said, Barb, you make the place sparkle. <laughs> she just warmed up, right? And it wasn't, to, I didn't do it to warm her up or to, you know, to get anything from her. Like, I really wanted to say it like, oh, I'm so, I'm happy when she's done cleaning. Like the place is so nice and I couldn't do that myself. I don't have time to do it, nor do I think I could do as good of a job as she did. Oh, like she, we were best friends after that. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess because I know I would really be lifted up by, I know when the archbishop says something kind to me like that, and he's not just saying it, but like he really means it and he names something specific. That, that motivates me for a long time. So I feel like I need to pass that on to others as well to, to fill up their cup so that they can continue to be engaged in the mission we're all on in, in the way in which we're called to do it individually. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, uh, there's a lot of uh, things my our Archbishop has taught us, but that's probably the, the one that's a lasting legacy to me is I cannot remember a time, quite honestly, when there's been 
an individual meeting or a gathering where his first words are not thank you. That's just been beautifully taught through example. Mm-hmm. Can't do it enough. So how are you developing your leaders? Hopefully now you've repented and now you're going to do a better job of giving recognition to your employees or your staff, your team, which is also one of the uh, 12 elements of engagement Gallup would talk about, giving recognition and making sure you do that and that you do it in a way that they were able to receive it. But how else are you developing your leaders on your staff and in your parish? Well, you know, we're going to continue to plug into leadership growth opportunities like the, the Global Leadership Summit. There is a beautiful movement here in Omaha called Within Reach. They had an awesome workshop in January, which we went to, which seems like about 10 years ago. I mean, January <laughs> seems, in light of COVID, my gosh, it could not have been January, but I guess it was. But just leaders, primarily from churches, but probably also some businesses from across the city who came together for a day of inspiration and leadership growth. So that was really life-giving for us. Of course, we meet as a team uh, once a week. And uh, with kind of like a, an open door to form the agenda, I don't come with a, a piece of paper and write off a copier and say, this is what we're going to talk about. Um, meeting one-on-one with each of them, you know, we do consistent step-asides to talk about either the year ahead or where we are uh, during the current year. But, you know, what we've done this first year is kind of establish a, a leadership summit, which is a gathering of our student leaders here at the Newman Center. So. Once a month, we have what's called a Mission Leadership Summit. We have about 40 students who are involved in that. And, and this is student-led, but we're imparting some sort of leadership growth conversation or topic, which they've really taken to. They're really eager to grow in leadership and be equipped as leaders. So I'm really pleased with that. We have even better plans for this coming year. Even, and we're not going to let the distancing or anything like that hold us back. We're going to try to maximize the uh, avenues that we can, uh, that are available to us. So I guess it'd be disingenuous if I said that there aren't some blips that have occurred over the past three or four months. You know, I think we've made strides, but it's also been hard not to be together. Mm-hmm. So some of it is sort of like being able to be together again and, and getting in a rhythm of doing that so we can kind of reestablish some things. I'm not going to say that that's a year recovery or anything, but I know everybody as we start the school year and, and the kind of the quote unquote ministry year, is going to have to lean into some more immediate things yeah. to, to get reestablished and reoriented. have to be really intentional for sure. Now for some of these uh, leadership summits, did you invite Chick-fil-A in <laughs> not just to eat? We did. To learn you know, that, was, that was sort of an extra one, but yeah, we have uh, our local Chick-fil-A here, which is just a couple that owns that is awesome Christian couple. And they go to LifeGate church here in Omaha, but they just exude generosity and hospitality. And Chick-fil-A as a company is known for that. But we really felt like, gosh, we'd love to have you come just talk to our team about what makes this tick? Is this just a gimmick? Where did this come from? How do we do this? So they came and gave us, they brought lunch for us, free Chick-fil-A. There's nothing better than that. We just had a wonderful like couple hours with my team and and our missionaries and some of our student leaders, not all could come at that time, but uh, totally awesome. We were really blessed by that. That's great. Now, you and I both went to a conference three years ago at the Global Leadership Summit, and I had heard about it, I think probably from Father James Mallon, but I didn't really know what it was. But I was talking to a Methodist lady at a Gallup class, 
And she said, oh yeah, our church hosts it. And I went, oh, okay, that's cool. And she basically said, hey, why don't you come down to our church and we'll host you. And so we went down um, to Kansas City together. We brought Jen Mosier. Uh, so, and, and also this, this lady, her name is uh, Debbie Nixon. And she is the executive pastor of one of the largest and fastest growing Methodist churches in North America, which I didn't know, but I was blown away. And we actually stayed at her house and she not only hosted at her house, hosted us at her house, but she also got us into the summit and this beautiful church and just blown away, not only by how they ran it, but, but the content of the global leadership summit. And I, I remember sitting next to you after the first talk, actually, they kind of had an introductory talk. They, they had gone through some, some dark periods themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the host church, the original host church, Willow Creek in Chicago. And Google it if you need to know what, it, what it's about. But dark, dark times, just like the Catholic church experience. But they just put it out in front yep. and said, this happened. And I think the night before we were watching this together, the whole church board resigned, just said, we need to get out of the way. And we were going through this whole thing with Cardinal McCarrick and at the uh, same time. Yeah, exact same time. And I think we both were just like, oh, you know, this is what leadership looks like. It doesn't, it's not always perfect, but when you realize you make a mistake and you need to get out of the way, you get out of the way. And, and I was just blown away by the example they set. So that set the tone. I think a lot of people who are running the global leadership summit at the time were really embarrassed by it. And, but I, I just told the, the executive director the other day, Tom DeVries, I just said, that blew me away. You might not have thought it was your most stellar moment, but for me, it was that really set the tone for the rest of that conference. But then after the first talk, I remember saying to you like, hey, Father Dan, why are we not doing this? We need to host this in Omaha. And uh, so we did host it. We had our, we were the first like larger organization. There is, I think there's another church in Pennsylvania that's hosted it before I've since discovered, but we've had the largest gathering of Catholics in at least in North America attending this. It's a simulcast event. We had over 300 Catholics attend last year. And then we're going to be hosting it again this year at Christ the King. It's August 6th and 7th and, and folks can still get a, a ticket. We're going to be socially distancing, but I think we have some room. It's, it's going to be uh, limited, but there's still a few seats available for you or your organization. You can just go to gls.archomaha.org, GLS, Global Leadership Summit, that archomaha.org. But anyway, that's a little pitch for that. But so I'm going. I'm going to be there. I don't know if you you're gonna, you guys are going to go. Maybe we're coming. Host, we're you're going to come to Christ the King, or you're going to do a watch party at your place. We're coming they, to Christ the King. They're they're offering a few other options because of the COVID. But I I kind of want to be with other folks. But you and I participated in this. And what was your experience? Well, you know, first of all, again, like in that particular moment, they they really embodied leadership. It was almost like everything afterwards was. Uh, uh, a lot of information that pointed back to how they started, which is a, a need in a particular moment to own uh, responsibility, to acknowledge it, and to not hide it, and then to take action. But I was just, you know, really just grateful to know that there are people who, you know, when we talk about being a saint, that, that can be a really intimidating word. Because if you know yourself, you think, well, if that means kind of living perfectly or being perfectly filled with virtue, then I guess that's not me you know, but you really have to, I think if you change the language, it becomes more accessible, which is, again, Matthew Kelly says, become the best version of yourself. And, you know, GLS is all about that, becoming the best version of yourself and having a culture where let's, let's all do that together. Let, let's all reach for more. And 
for ourselves and our teams go to this place of wildly effective functioning and fruitfulness. And I mean, to me, that was the joy of it. And uh, that's, that's what being a Christian is. And in that, in a place where, an arena where Catholics had normally not uh, kind of participated or ventured into, I found such a warm response and an eagerness, like among these other churches. And I, I find this all over the place. We're so glad you're here. They, they know the Catholic Church is big. They know we've gone through struggles, but they want us to be better because it makes a lot of things better. And this is something which, and again, we don't, nobody has to invent. We don't have to duplicate this. It exists, and let's make the body stronger. One of the things Jesus was adamant about is that we be one. And, and the first parts of attaining that is to show up, right? Show up, and, and for something like this, whether you're in a church or whether you just have a business and you'd like a leadership growth opportunity for your business or corporate team, this is a great investment on your time and resources. You'll get far much more out of it than, than you put into it. So I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. And I should also mention that there's going to be a host site in Cedar County as well, up in, uh, in Hardington. I believe uh, those two parishes that Father Cordy has, they're the ones that are going to be hosting it there in Hardington. He also is in Coleridge, St. Michael's in Coleridge. So both of those parishes are coming together. And I think they're kind of teaming up with some of those uh, other Cedar County parishes as well to host it in the rural area. And they, I think they, they've got a, a larger spot to be able to do that. And then, then they have a backup plan as well in case we have to keep some social distancing but that's pretty awesome that was one of our goals last year is to multiply this like after when we did it last year we were we had a couple pastors say well we would like to host it next year and, and so that was one of our wins when pastors see the value of it not only for the staffs but for the people in the pews we're like when leaders get better everybody gets better and and everybody's a leader because everybody has influence so that's the global leadership pitch. <laughs> and that's not why, that's not the only reason why we were talking today, but, but I just think it really caps something for us where I, I found so much value from it. And, and it really is a, a great way to kind of keep things churning in our hearts and minds as, as we continue to grow as leaders. Any final comments, Father Dan? No, I just appreciate the time. I still think, you know, consider where you are uh, and where you're living in human history. And just to have the full awareness and confidence that, and it's not cliche, that, that God made you for this time and for this moment. And this could be like the best opportunity we've had in centuries to really bring the gospel back to the forefront, the power of it, so that, that Jesus can do what he always does, which is heal us and give us mercy and, and change our lives. And so, you know, we'll, we'll say it once, we'll say it a thousand times, the local church is the hope of the world. And we believe everybody has, this is Billy Graham, everybody has a right to hear the gospel. So let's do that and be light on our feet and not be afraid to begin a new era in terms of our methods. And our greatest priority is to help people to come and know and love Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Father Dan. And uh, I want to thank Whitney Bradley. She's been helping us out to organize all of this. And she'll be posting the show notes at our blog at equip.archomaha.org. That's the Equipcast for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you and talk to you next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.